The Secrets of Technology is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Technology. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Technology, where we discuss the technology news that's important to you from a uniquely Catholic point of view. And joining me today on the panel are Pat Scott. Hi, Pat. Greetings. And Thomas Sinherho. Hey, Thomas. Hey, Dom. It's nice to be here. So I want to kick things off right away with uh, some listener feedback. We got a message from patron Michael on Patreon. Yes, you can ask us questions via Patreon if you are a patron there. And uh, he uh, he said, recently, Apple dropped an iOS update to my iPhone 12 that dramatically changed the podcast player. After trying to live with the change for a month and two separate calls with Apple to try to make the player workable for me, I have come to realize I need to find another player. The update has made it very difficult to listen to current episodes without having to fight through the list of other episodes I've deleted because I've listened to them or decided not to listen to them. And, uh, so, and he says, you kind of give some examples. And then getting to that list of episodes that to that list of episodes to scroll through the list isn't easy anymore either. So here's his question. Are there other players available on iOS? And I'm going to add in Android here that might have a broad library that you like. I've heard you discuss Overcast. Is that your preferred player? Are there others? Thanks. And uh, he says, I'd like to find something that's both easy to use with a good library of shows so I don't have to jump around to different apps. And that's some really good questions and opportunities for us to talk about things. And the first thing I wanted to mention was Apple did change the podcast app on iOS and macOS for that matter uh, recently. And a lot of users are up in arms about it. A lot of us podcasters aren't all that excited about what they did either because the Apple podcast app is probably the biggest place where people listen to podcasts. And the uh, they changed it so that it's no longer like you're downloading a file to an app and it's more like apple music where you're looking at the library of everything that's in the cloud and people aren't used to that and like like michael says when you when you've only listened to certain episodes and you're trying you just every time you go to that show you see 200 you know if, you're, if it's a long-standing podcast 200 episodes and you're like oh, i I, i'm trying to get to the one i want it's just it has become really difficult, and uh, so it's not good. It's not a good. And situation. they don't have a good sorting mechanism or anything like that, or a filtering mechanism. No, no. Um, oh. I expect them to to fix this, improve it, iterate on it. I mean, this is what Apple does. They throw out, they throw everything out the the door, and then they rebuild it from scratch. They did that with FileMaker. Uh, not FileMaker. Wow, that's that's a that's a bad, uh, deep <laughs> cut. Uh, I mean, uh, <laughs> the the move the the video. Uh, app the professional one film anyway and they did that with the <laughs> iWork apps and they you know they they do this oh, they all do the it with the hardware too the, the let's just get rid of the headphone jack let's just get rid of the right you know the, the cd power player. cable we're changing it <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, usb is in adb is out or you know whatever it was so they're all they're constantly you know do, doing this and then giving you stuff back over time and so um so that's the situation so uh, to be honest, like like Michael said, I haven't used the podcast app in ages. I I go to. I was going to say, yeah. anybody who's still using the Apple Podcast app is is a saint because that thing was a nightmare already. <laughs> so if it got worse, right. I just don't even know where. <laughs> I don't know how it could have. <laughs> yeah, I, I joined the elite of the the podcast enthusiasts of using because we use third party apps. So just kidding. oh yeah, uh, I mean even like Google, the Google Podcast app is is not great either. Yeah. So you're right, Michael. My preferred podcast app is Overcast for I, on iOS. I, I really like it. It has some really great features, including Smart Speed, which is it. It you, often in most apps you can speed up how fast it plays, and you know it's. In, but it's a very uh, static sort of increase. You know, it'll play twice as fast, three times as fast, four times as fast. What Smart Speed does is it it uh, intelligently pulls out silences so if the so if i have a long silence here and i go for three seconds i'm not gonna go too long because my 
edit, editing app goes crazy if I have long silences. But but <laughs> if there's a long silence or you know a, a second, a half a second, it pulls it out and shortens things up. So you you can listen to more podcasts in the same amount of time. There's a lot of really great features in Overcast, and uh, so that's the one I recommend. But how about you guys? What do you use for podcast listening? Uh, Thomas, what do you what do you use? So I'm on Android, and um, I a while back I got a, a an app called Podcast Addict, and uh, that is addict as in like a, a, a person addicted to something, which yes. it describes me for podcasts uh, accurately. <laughs> but um, I, I got it, and it had a free version, as most Android apps do. Uh, but this app was so good that I actually shelled out the money for it. So uh, it really is a fantastic app. Uh, it does what you were just talking about, where it will uh, eliminate silences from uh, the from the things that you're listening to. It will do. Uh, you can adjust the speed. You can get pretty incremental with the speed too. You can really uh, go down. I've got some of my podcasts. They speak really slowly, so I just speed it up a lot. And then some of them, it's you know, it's a, it's a 40 minute podcast, and I really need it in that 30 minute time period. So you know, just <laughs> right, bump it right. up a little bit to get it down there. Um, but then I, I really like the way they organize everything. So uh, similar to what you're saying with, uh, with the, uh, iTunes app now, they will, um, show you the whole breadth of what the, what's been released by that podcast, but you can mark them all as viewed. It hides them all. And then you can look at the ones that are hidden and just see the most recent one and unhide that one, download it, listen to it. And then the next time one comes up, you'll only see that one. It'll have the list there still, but it's all hidden from you. So you can't see it unless it's a new one. Uh, and it's really good. It uh, keeps the, the covers, only the covers of uh, podcasts that have new uh, content to them. That's all it'll show you. So you, your podcast app will look completely clean if you are up to date on your podcasts. And then one will pop up as it. Uh, as it has a new episode. I wonder what that's like to be completely caught up on your podcast. <laughs> I, I have no idea. <laughs> I've but, done it once. And that was when I was going through making sure everything was up to date because I was like 20 episodes behind on everything. <laughs> yes. Theoretical. It's theoretical. Uh, so that sounds like a good one. Uh, Pat, what do you what do you use for podcasts? Uh, well, I'm kind of weird because I have uh, multiple podcast listeners and uh, or apps, and I'll use one type for one type of podcast, another one for another. Like I've got one that's devoted to all faith-related podcasts that I'm interested in, and another uh, one that I use uh, for literary and that type of podcasts, and then a third is kind of a miscellaneous, but um, or technology. Pardon me. That's that. There's one for it all. My tech stuff. So I use Apple Podcasts and I use Overcast <laughs> and I use Downcast. And I like Downcast because it lets you instantly see the most recent ones or the oldest the uh, oldest ones first or you can filter them out by different criteria of of uh and, and there's you can have a global criteria as well as an individual podcast that you've overridden that one and you want that one shown in a different way or uh mm. you know so it's got a lot of flexibility so i'm not in in, in, as in depth as y'all are but i got the variety <laughs> <laughs> well i like downcast especially i i have it on my ipad because i like it for video podcasts like all the twit network podcasts i prefer to watch those as mm. videos just because that that they have really good quality and they're really like TV shows. So I have all those in Downcast on my iPad, and it's, Downcast is really good for that. And uh, the uh, but yeah, that's that's actually. But you know, I've heard of people segregating things out by app. Uh, I segregate by playlist in Overcast. Overcast right. lets you do playlists, and so yeah, I've done that too. But yeah. uh, I, I, it just seems simpler for me to just say, well, there's here a whole one devoted to SQPN yeah. <laughs> and all the other things. Right, right. Well, that's one thing I like. Uh, I, one thing I like about the one that I'm using, Podcast Addict, I can set up a player widget on my um on my screen, but I can set up multiple player widgets, and each mm. player widget can be attached to a different playlist. So I, I'll have those, you know, I'll have my tech podcast playlist and then I'll also have my um, literary podcast playlist, but they're two separate widgets so that I know, okay, and, and it's got it queued up which one's on there. So I just hit play on that one if I want to listen to it or stop it and then go to the other one if I that's need to. That's cute. Yeah, that's cool. Um, I want to mention about the idea of apps that have broad libraries. Technically, and most of the major apps will have all freely available at uh, podcasts. If an app, if a, sorry, I keep saying app. If a podcast is in the Apple podcast directory, if it's in the Google podcast directory, most mainstream 
podcast apps should be pulling from that. Let me put it like they don't, that's not exactly the same thing, but they should have the same podcast. They don't always. And for SQPN, we try to make sure that we're in every available podcast directory. But there are lots of them, more than you, more than I ever expected. Oh, I keep running into yeah, new yeah. ones. So, uh, and if you if you encounter one where you don't find SQPN's podcasts and you want to see us there, let me know. Send us an email at the you know, technology at sqpn dot com, and let me know, and I'll. I'll, I'll try to get us in it because it's it's you know we want to be everywhere that people are listening. We actually just did this the other day because yeah. I I found a new one that I'm looking at. Um, I'm, I'm trying to kind of move all of my listening over to Plexamp, um, which is I think I did a pick of the week or, or yes. I at least talked about it in one of our previous episodes. And I really like it. I love the way the app works. I love the way it looks. And I went in when we got this question. I was like, okay, let me go look. I'll start moving my podcasts over. And I couldn't find the SQPN uh, podcasts because mm. they aren't using one of the bigger um streams they're using their own but um dom was able to put his uh his list of all of the sqpn podcasts in there and add them to the list and sure enough they have populated now so they're all easy to find right apparently the way they work is is as soon as a user manually adds a podcast to their plexamp player it pop uh it makes it available to the entire plexamp user base audience yeah and that's another important thing is every podcast app that i know of allows you to manually add a podcast feed so even Mm -hmm. if we're not there and you want to have us in a particular app usually you can go to our site go to the particular podcast page the show page and there'll be something that's labeled rss usually that's what we we call it and if you copy that link and you put you paste it in sometimes you can even just paste the show page like sqpn.com slash technology you can sometimes even do that, and it will find the 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 feed for you, which is really helpful, and and that will should add it to. So um, there are multiple ways, and any of those will do you do you good. If you know, so I I love Overcast, and uh, Podcast Addict is good on Android. Pocket Cast is another one that's available both on iOS and Android. So if you if you're uh, uh, bi bicultural, <laughs> <laughs> if you if you are ecumenical about your technology, <laughs> you, you can uh, you you can it'll sync back and forth between them. So that's really good. So that's another one as well. That's one of the other things that recommended Plexamp to me because it's, it's for both iOS and Android, but it's also got a a desktop component for Linux, windows and uh, Mac. Yeah. Well, and then there's those people who are not device bound and they, they walk around their house and Spotify is good for that on the, on the different, um, um, uh, what am I trying to say? Digital assistants. Right. Right. And in fact, you can you can play any SQPN podcast directly from your Echo device just by saying Echo play Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World podcast. Sometimes you have to say the word podcast at the end and then it will will start playing the latest episode. So, um, yeah, that works, too. Excellent. Michael, thank you so much for that question. We really appreciate it. And uh, I think it's a good discussion. If you have any questions about podcast apps or getting podcasts, let us know at technology at sqpn.com. So I want to move on to our next topic. We're, we're jam-packed full of stuff to talk about tonight. So I want to <laughs> get, uh, get to uh, all of our topics. And the next one is an important topic. It's about email security. And this isn't necessarily in, about the security of your particular email address. That may actually be something we can talk about in the future. Uh, and we have talked about choosing an email hosting service back in episode 109. And this is about securing the email for for your organization, your domain name. So if you are, say, a, a Catholic parish or a nonprofit organization or a business, and like we are sqpn.com, that's our, that's our domain name, and all our email addresses go through sqpn.com. If if you have your own domain name, this is for you. And if even if you're not an administrator, this is important for you. And the reason it's important is most of the we've heard of all these stories in the news about these ransomware attacks and you know millions of dollars taking down these megacorps. Most of this ransomware and these Trojan horse breaches are caused by someone being tricked through an email that they they get an email that looks like it came from a legitimate source, has the right domain name. They click a link and bam, they're infected or they open an attachment and bam, they're infected. So what we're going to talk about is some security protections that can help prevent spoof emails that look like they're coming 
legitimately from your domain but aren't. And again, this is about protecting your domain so that emails don't uh, spoof emails don't look like they're coming from you to other people. And that's that's really what we're talking about. So, Thomas, you 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 uh, helped me with this. We had a situation where we got an email to SQPN. One of our podcast hosts got an email from someone who said, uh, I'm a security researcher and I found this vulnerability. I just sent a forged email to my email address that appears to originate from sqpn.com. And I was able to do this because your system is not set up correctly. We'll get into exactly how that is. And then he offered to uh, fix it for us for, you know, money. And so I said, hmm, I know someone to talk to about this. And so, Thomas, <laughs> I, I said this to you and to Jack, because you guys are both knowledgeable about these sorts of things. And you pointed me to some good information. And what is it we need to know? The, the the three acronyms that we need to know about fixing your email server. So uh, I think before we even get into the acronyms, I think okay. it's important to to kind of realize how emails are sent. So you have a server somewhere that is managing these emails going out. And I think most people know that. But then the thing is, is that once those emails go out, um, there's no real system that's mandatory to check that they came from that server. It's It's not a, a requirement. So your email goes out from your domain server, it hits uh, a user, and uh, that, uh, that user gets an email that says it's from yourdomain.com. And that's great, because that's what you want. You want your email to be able to go out that way. But the problem is that I can just as easily um, trick the receiver into thinking that it came from yourdomain.com even though it came from my server locally at my house, uh, because all I have to do is just put in the header information of that email that it came from yourdomain.com. Um, so how do we solve that problem is the, is the real question. And uh, fortunately for us, uh, this is something that people in the internet uh, think about, and they, they have come up with a, a system whereby the address can be checked, not just that it says yourdomain.com, but that it says yourdomain.com and it came from an approved server that should be sending that uh, URL uh, emails. And so the, the three acronyms that they have are SPF, DKIM, and DMARC, D-M-A-R-C. Uh, and DMARC's the one that, that really I know the most about personally, and so that's kind of where I pointed Dom uh, when we were uh, coming up with the answer to this question. And it's been a while since I've dealt with it. <laughs> so this was back when, back when I was running Nativity's uh, uh, Nativity Church uh, in Brandon. That's where I was working before. And I was running some stuff for them. We were sending out some emails and we had a problem with the same kind of thing uh, where somebody could spoof our email easily. And I, so I dove deep into this world of like, oh, okay, well, how do we solve this problem? And uh, these are the things that, uh, that I came up with. So, yeah, the, the SPF stands for uh, Sender Policy Framework, and it basically it goes in your domain name record, which is a, a, a well, it, that takes a lot to get into. But it's it's basically um, information on a distributed set of servers around the Internet that that tell computers when you're looking for this domain, this is the various places you go. And it has to do with Web and email and other things like that. But so it's a record that says um these servers are allowed to send mail for this domain and say Google is your domain host and it, it's your email host. And it says, okay, from Google service uh, it's, but it's limited. It, it doesn't, it doesn't um, require the receiver to do anything. If it, if it doesn't come from that host and uh, th it has limitations on how many potential hosts it could come from. And that's important because Email from you doesn't just come from your email hosting service like Google, say, or your web host. It could come from a newsletter like we send out a monthly newsletter uh, from SQPN and it says the return address is, you know, info at SQPN.com. And that's coming. But it's coming from MailChimp. So I also have to say MailChimp is also a legitimate sender, that sort of thing. So. So it's got some limitations and it's an it's an older protocol. And then the DKIM is. It, public private keys. It's basically signing the emails that said and says that these emails are coming from the server. They say they're coming from. So that's fine. What DMARC does is it's, it's, it sits on top of those and it sets up a policy. When, when you get an email and it fails SPF or 
DKIM, you can do one of these things. You can tell it to uh, do, you require the server to do nothing. You could require the server to, uh, you should probably treat this suspicious and maybe mark it as spam, or you could require it to fail. If it, if it doesn't follow our strict guidelines, send it back. Send it to the Bitbucket. Junk it. Now, and just so just so everybody's clear where this lives, too, this lives on on your domain. Yes. It's, it's so when when the receiver gets your email and their email uh, checker is running through this information, they go out and they find out, oh, hey, this is the, the place it should be coming from. And they check with you. And then if you tell them most most of the DMARC set up to not do anything just because, you know, if you do sign up for like MailChimp or something like that and you want your emails to go out and say your company name, uh you don't want them to all fail right. <laughs> immediately because you've set them up, set it up too strict. But um, so, but you do want that to happen. You want to make sure that you keep up with your DMARC when you're, when you're doing these things, because otherwise I could send an email with your domain.com uh, and a link in it that sends uh, your listeners or your viewers or your uh, customers to somewhere I want them to go. And that's not good. <laughs> right. And the problem is, is, is that most organizations are not doing this yet. We weren't. And I hadn't even heard about it yet. Um, and this is a problem. And in fact, uh, I saw a statistic and we'll have several links to help with this, including links from Google on how to set it up on Google servers and that sort of stuff. Um, but they said that nonprofit organizations, 91% of them, a little more than 90%, have no policy in place for DMARC, which puts their their relationship with the people that they email, like donors and volunteers, in in Risk. jeopardy. You mm-hmm. know, and this is and this is why I'm, I often think about parishes. Parishes that have their own domain are in are in jeopardy because you're in jeopardy. You're, you're potentially getting spoofed. You know, of in, in having people. Uh, this this was a scam that's been going around about. Uh, you know, it's coming from the pastor, and it says, uh, mm-hmm. I, "I need you to go out and buy me a bunch of gift cards because that's what your pastors want you to do is buy him a bunch of iTunes gift cards <laughs> and and send and send me the codes and." <laughs> I love that you're saying that completely independent of our experience here. That that's happened to us several times. Oh, yeah. really? And so it's happened to you in Boston. It's happened yes. to us in Tampa. So this is something that happens. Oh, <laughs> Just yeah. So everybody knows. <laughs> I know several priests who've had this, like someone impersonate them like this. And you know the secretary gets it. And it's coming from father, so I'm gonna you know do it. You you need to have. You, we need to be more smart about our cybersecurity in general. And we've talked about this many times. And so even the Fortune 500 companies, only 23 percent of those have some form wow. of DMARC policy in place. So this is it's it's a something that's there, something we can use. It's it's not that's super hard to implement. I did it, you know, and having known nothing about it a few days before, and and we've got it in place. It's just it. This is a no-brainer. We need to do this, and so we, uh, you know, we will have links in the show notes on on where to learn more about this. And if if you're if you don't feel capable, competent, or you're not the person in charge of this at your organization, you should definitely pass it along to someone who is. Mm-hmm. And you, I'll even send you a link where uh, Google has a, a checker that will check your domain. You can put any domain in, and it will say. It will check it and say, oh, these policies aren't implemented. And you can check your own company or church or, you know, nonprofit or whatever organization and see. So just something to keep in mind. And if you've ever gotten an email from an organization, you're like, that that seems really bizarre. Let them know. And I would even pass this information along to them because 99 out of 100, that's what happened is that their email got spoofed and you're the savvy viewer getting the email going i don't think this is right but they don't know right right no one's sending them the email that's right, coming, right. It's coming from them <laughs> right right yeah yeah so definitely yeah definitely let people know well and i see a lot of people that they, they will call me and say well i got this email but this got this funny message saying it may not be coming from the server that you think it mm-hmm. is what should i do and many times, you know, I'll kind of look at it and say, yeah, it looks like it really is coming from them. It looks legitimate. And I'll tell them, let them know mm-hmm. that you're getting these funny messages and that way they can fix their security. And in fact, if Google is telling you that this may not, you know, say if you have a Gmail account, this may not right. be coming from the person that it says it is. 
that's DMARC at work. That's exactly these policy, various policies at work. So, and so they said, we've gone, we've checked and it said this doesn't match up. This doesn't, you know, that, that, that doesn't match the records. And so they're they're saying and that's where it's at work. And it's alerting the user, the end user saying, you know, be careful. And um, it, the odds are that the people who sent it, who've set up the policy correctly, they're getting emails back from servers when this sort, this sort of thing happens. And so they can check. Oh, Google, you got an email through your Gmail account? Okay, let me go check the report from Google I got yesterday and see what server that is that's that's doing this bad thing. So, yeah, that's that's a good point. Excellent. Yeah, let them know. Let them know. All right, anything else we want to say about this or questions on this area? Um, it It's a technical topic, but I think it's an important one that we all need to, to, to understand because cybersecurity is only becoming more and more important uh, as as these you know these gangs really is what they often are are out there more active these these hackers with their ransomware and all this other stuff and we've got to we've got to be smart to defend ourselves and the organizations we work for we've got to be good stewards especially if we work for the church or nonprofits or that sort of thing we got to be good stewards of what we're in charge of well, and generally speaking, this is a very easy solution that it, it really doesn't take long to implement. I think the biggest danger is that you implement it and then you decide to do an email campaign and forget to change your DMARC and you know, <laughs> right. then that's going to cause uh, cause chaos. But, it, but it'll be quick chaos that you'll be able to go, oh, that's right. I forgot that DMARC thing. And you, you can fix it. No problem. Yeah, in fact, that's the case in the, where we're at when the last customer I got was. I was sure that basically it was an organization that now has outsourced their their newsletter to somebody else. And so it's coming in from their organization name, but it's not really being mailed by the organization. Right, right. So, And like I said, we, like SQPN uses MailChimp, and MailChimp has a really good instructions to walk you through on how to set it up so that they are an approved sender for your domain as well. And that's that's important. So that's that's good. Excellent. So thank you to the, the to that guy out there, the security researcher who <laughs> wanted to get SQN to pay him. Uh, we're not going to pay you, but we, we do appreciate you. We appreciate us know. you. <laughs> thank you very much. We'll say a prayer for you. Yes, that's a good idea. <laughs> All right. Let's uh, move on. But first, before we do, I want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of technology, including Care, Claire K, Sammy, uh, Afons F, Donald F, and Tom E. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of technology and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. All right, so let's move on to our headlines. And uh, the first one, Thomas, this is, this is in your wheelhouse. Um, <laughs> the headline says, AI designs quantum physics experiments beyond what any human has conceived. And, and uh, I will say I believe it because I don't understand it. <laughs> so <laughs> tell us what's going on here. <laughs> so this, this is a really cool cross-section of my interests. I love quantum physics. Um, I love the work that these guys are doing. And it's, it's really it's a group of researchers that are doing mathematics that's so far on the edge of everything that these three scientists were sitting around for months with the giant blackboards doing all of their doodles that make no sense to anyone ever <laughs> and um uh they and they couldn't solve this this uh problem that they were having they were trying to come up with a a formula that would uh fix a value for the uh state of a of a quanta you know of a of a light is it is it a wave or a particle and um and or they were doing entanglement so they were really doing like you know if you slam two of them together and then take one across the universe can they both be in the same state at the same time uh and so that's that's kind of the experiment that they were running and they couldn't do the math they just couldn't do the math and so as a testament to how awesome machine learning is uh one of the guys picked up uh, uh some basic machine learning uh courses and taught himself how to really go dive in and program uh, an AI that could do this math for them. And lo and behold, it, he, he came up with this machine learning algorithm that solved their problem pretty, pretty quickly. And uh, it was great. They all loved it. They thought it was wonderful. And then they moved on to other things. And, but he still had this AI that he wanted to do things with. So what he ended up doing was going back to some older experiments and grabbing some unsolved things, like just, just tools that people had made 
seemed interesting, but then had discarded because they hadn't really worked or whatever, and fed them into the machine so that the so that this algorithm now had these extra tools. And as he's sitting at the, the cafe with a printout from this thing one day, he's looking through it. He has no idea what it's trying to tell him. So it's, it's given him results and he couldn't figure out what they were. <laughs> so he was pouring through it, pouring through it, pouring through it. Finally, he found out that this machine had creatively applied uh, a, a quantum physics uh, uh, experiment from the 90s uh, using an interferometer so basically it had set it up in such a way that that it would have it would get rid of all the extra noise uh and it's something that the experimenters never thought of and they had abandoned the project just because they didn't get the they didn't get results that were actionable at the time and he went back and talked to these guys about it and they were like yeah this is something that we never would have done because we weren't really going back to this and nobody's done in the 30 or so years since we did the experiment but the machine did it so wow. <laughs> it's, it's, it's so neat because it's like it's it's almost to that level of of creativity that we really want the benchmark for, you know, truly autonomous thinking machines to be at. Um, and then there was a lot of talk about whether or not it was really AI or not. But it, to me, this is creative enough that it's it, it's something that was done by a machine that would not have ever been done by humans. And that to, that's so interesting that, that we really have gotten to that point and that it's a quantum physicist, not a computer programmer who made this uh, program. That's really the cool part here. And it's almost like a little bit of a time machine because it goes back to the past and gets the <laughs> <Right>. solution. <laughs> well, I tell you, I for one welcome our new machine learning overlord. <laughs> uh, uh, I will serve you and, and feed all the rest of the humans into the machine. <laughs> to serve mankind. Yes, exactly. <laughs> there you go. In, in quanta. So awesome. That is actually, you did a great job of making that uh, understandable to uh, those of us who are not uh, super thank you, thank knowledgeable. You. You're welcome. That was, that was cool. I like that. Uh, our next headline is interesting, not just if you, it, it, it's, well, let me just give you the headline, then I'll tell you why it's interesting. Uh, the headline is Audacity is being called spyware after privacy policy update. <laughs> and let me tell you why that, this is an interesting story, even if you're not into audio editing or podcasting, whatever. Audacity is an open source piece of software that for video, uh, sorry, audio recording and editing. And it's been around for ages. I've used it for, for so long. Uh, and it was recently purchased. Uh, that might be, uh, you, you might have to correct me on this, Thomas, but uh, on the exact language on this. But it was recently acquired by a company. Yeah. They they took control of it, and they made some announcements that you uh, it, it will start to re uh, communicate with their servers back and forth. And people got really freaked out because why does it need to communicate any information back to a central server, et cetera, et cetera. Now, Thomas, why is this, from your point of view, why is this important or is this a, a, a tempest in a teapot? Uh, don't make me pick between the two because it's kind <laughs> it of both. Important, <laughs> it is an important tempest in a teapot. Okay. It's an important tempest in a teapot, yes. Okay. Um, well, I think, I think honestly... Um, Free and open source advocates, a lot of times, uh, what, what we're really looking for is something that's detached from this constant update cycle uh, that I have to be bought into the update cycle or I have to be sending information back about the way I'm using the, the program or whatever. Um, so part of the, the open source advocacy is I want a product that is that I know what it's doing, that I know everything that it's doing and that when I have it on my system. If you update it, I am choosing to follow that update string. Like I know what's happening with it. And I'll be honest, I don't look at that half the time, right? Like I'm not keeping tabs on every single piece of software I use and making sure that all the stuff is updated. But there are, there are limits to what I do want available in an open source product. And what was happening here was that they're adding in an obscured piece of code that's going to be sending the information back and forth. So in other words, that piece of code is not visible. So you can see everything else about Audacity. You can see all the code that makes Audacity work because it's open source, except for this one piece that's communicating back with them. 
And that's because they're using a framework from Google that is this kind of monitoring framework that keeps track of how users are using the program, what problems they're having, what system they're on. So, you know, it's, it's stuff that you're going to get in most commercial software anyway. There's, there's just no way you're going to avoid that kind of thing in commercial software. But it's kind of sketchy on that open source uh, angle of things. Right. So most people who, most users who use open, uh, commercial software, it, this is no different than the software they're already using. It's right. communicating back and forth. Uh, this is really important to people for whom that the the communication back to a to to anyone of anything about my the extreme tech, technological libertarian <laughs> idea right. uh, mm-hmm. of uh, I don't want anything about what I'm doing communicated to anybody else without my explicit act action to do so. Right. Opt in, yeah. Mm-hmm. And and that's that's really what the big argument was is that it that there was no opt into it. They were just going to ship it. They were just going to put it in the update and that's it. If you're going to use the next update of Audacity, you're stuck with it. Okay. Uh, now, given that Audacity is open source, there's a thing called forking, which is uh, someone takes the code and they go in a new direction with it separate from the main thrust of the development cycle. And so someone else can take what's open source about it and keep going with a different name on it. Uh, and I heard that that's actually got, someone's working on that, a fork of Audacity. Yeah, there is. There's there. There are actually a few. Um, the one that I've heard the most about is called Dark Audacity. <laughs> okay. Um, and so it's uh, it's got some other things added to it. That and so it's it's been around a while. It's not a, a completely new thing. But um, the but yeah, the the idea that you can grab it and run with it is is pretty good. But the the challenge there with a program like this is that it's become so synonymous with free and open source um audio that to now have to move away from it. And then if this company decides that they want to sue uh, Dark Audacity because it uses Audacity as part of their name, and it, it creates a very uh, hostile environment where there wasn't one before. And it could even create confusion among users who think that they're using free and open source software that's completely uh, unencumbered by this sort of thing and, and download it and use it and don't realize this. Uh, right. But, uh, but, but in general... For most people, Audacity's still okay. It's not really spyware, right? Right. Yeah, it's, it's, if you use any uh, commercial software at all, you've definitely been exposed to this same kind of... It's, it's a quality check thing. That's really, yeah. that's really all it is. Well, and a lot of it, being a developer for 28 years, uh, you want feedback from a product on how it's, how it's failing, how you can fix mm-hmm. it, what, what limits are being crashed and so how you can get back in there and and see well is that thing never even exercised that particular piece we can remove it or is it something that it's crashing all the time we need to get a fix fast and that's that the type of telemetry that most commercial software has in it and you want developers to be able to learn and fix products and it's hard to get that that information back but you have to do the the monitoring in a in a responsible way and not gathering it for sales purposes or gathering it for information uh, sales. Yeah. Right. Right. Like uh, who is the Vizio? I think it was, was who's like ga- gathering information on how people are using their televisions. We talked about this a few weeks ago in a headline mm-hmm. the, to sell it to advertisers. Like, ah, no, that's, that's not kosher. <laughs> Don't do that. Uh, but uh, yeah, this is, this is different, right? There's a, there's a, there's an altruistic purpose that that you can say is involved here. We're trying to make the software better when we need users aren't always great about reporting why things break. I mean, I'm not, I mean, why did it crash? I get those, you know, get those pop-ups, you report how, what you were doing before it crashed. I wasn't doing anything. I, I literally right. was sitting there looking at my ago. phone. <laughs> yeah. yeah it, it like crashed before, while it was asleep, you know, but where if you, if it can report home, what it was doing immediately prior or, or that sort of thing. It can it can help, it, you know. So. Well, and and I'll be honest, you know, if anybody who's ever used Audacity can attest to the fact that the UI is is the most clunky, awful oh, yes. <laughs> thing that 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 exists. And this is the kind of telemetry that you could get, like you know, how are users interacting with the menu items? Could there is there a button that we could make visible that that everybody uses all the time that we could just put right in the front, you know? Um, so 
I, I understand it. And, and I think the reason I say that it, it is a big deal, but it's not a big deal is because ultimately this, a lot of software is going this way. Uh, but the, the issue really is uh, there are open source alternatives that they could use. There, there are open source um, reporting telemetry uh, systems that they could use, but they opted to go with Google's. And that is by its nature, a kind of walled garden. There's not uh, open visibility to what's going on there. So it's not just about that it's reporting back, but that the reporting mechanism itself is a black box that is closed source, and therefore people can't look at it and and see what else it's doing. And, exactly. And it probably doesn't help that it's also Google, and people are kind of what Google's the behemoth <laughs> that it is, just get right. its tentacles everywhere. Yeah. Well, and and I get a lot of reports whenever somebody comes around and and puts out a new terms of service or that type of thing. People start reading it and. They don't realize when it says that the company will read this or they will write this or they will have to, you know, because the product can't work without it. Uh, so then, then it becomes truly a tempest in a teapot because they don't understand the mechanics of what's going on underneath. And they're just saying something's reading my data. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. or like when Facebook's terms of service says, you know, you give us the right to reproduce your images across, uh, you know, state lines or you know international borders and they want to sell my photos of my right. dog that's exactly wants, what i'm talking about yeah, yeah nobody wants to buy those photos that's over the, they have to you have to give them permission to reproduce them because they're on servers everywhere now because that's how facebook works and and otherwise they couldn't get it from your from their server to your phone if you if they couldn't reproduce it <laughs> exactly exactly uh by the way speaking of audacity uh in, in its interface it has not changed a bit in no, the it, 10 years no. since I first started using it, it is still the same old interface. Oh, yeah. and, and well, which was actually very comforting since I started using it again recently. <laughs> I thought, oh, I know how this works. Yeah, exactly. Once, you, once you've uh, climbed the I hill. I remember I can't find anything. <laughs> yeah, once you've climbed the hill to figure out how to work it the first time, then it's like riding a bike uh, forever. <laughs> Uh, so our next headline, this is a kind of an interesting one. It, it, cryptocurrency is big, big in the news. Um, it's it's uh, from Bloomberg and it's called Bitcoin Beach. What happened when an El Salvador surf town went full crypto? Now, the important thing to know uh, in advance of the story is that several years ago, El Salvador gave up its own currency. It, it doesn't have its own currency anymore. It ac actually uses the U.S. dollar. So it doesn't have a, a fiat currency. That's what's, what it's called. Uh, and so they... Uh, they went to the dollar and that hasn't helped a lot as being a third world country, sorry, a developing country. That's not really nice to say a third world country, but they're a developing country with a lot of poor people who don't have often have access to banks or technology or that sort of thing. And a group of Americans, especially the, some who had come into some uh, Bitcoin wealth as they, you know, their early Bitcoin ownership gave them huge wealth in Bitcoin, have decided to start an experiment to help El Salvador, and specifically this particular, starting with this particular t beach town, to start to use Bitcoin as its currency to free it from the inflationary uh, uh, aspects and the, the, the governmental controls uh, of, of U.S. currency. And I, I found it interesting, this idea of we, we can come into this poor town and give them enough technology and and 90% of the households are are using Bitcoin of one kind or another. And one of the things that, like they said, it helps is like, for example, this construction company, the owner pays his workers in Bitcoin, which helps because now they don't have to take a day, half a day off of work to travel hours to go to the closest bank to get their money. They now have it in an app on their phone right off the bat. And then they can trade it. They get, there's a Bitcoin ATM in town. They can spend it at the various businesses in town, et cetera, et cetera. I, I find that very interesting. What did, did what do you all think of this idea of of helping you know in in developing nations using these these uh, cryptocurrencies to to help the people? There was actually a, a re, an article a while back about Brazil having done something similar before cryptocurrencies were a thing, and so they kind of uh, completely altered their money system so that it was more of a of a uh, it's hard to explain it, because, but I, I haven't read the article in a while. But it was a really interesting talk about how they, they kind of gauged the value of products like a, a gallon of milk versus an hour of work. Almost and bartering. Then they just, yeah. And then they just set up the system based on that. 
they re they basically revalued the economy based separate from the the currency. But yeah, right, but, right. Yeah. And and it was and it was so cool because like reading this, that's what that's the feeling I got was like, oh, okay. So what they did was they solved the problem that they're having, where the, the currency has just gone so wildly in, inflated that there's no way to recover the currency. So what we need to do is just get back to like, what are we doing with money? Like, what is an economy? What are we what are we actually doing here? And a Bitcoin just kind of divorces the the concept of um, of the fiat currency from the actual uh, economics of day to day life. Right. Yeah. I mean, Bitcoin just becomes a, a sort of or any crypto becomes a sort of token that you use to buy things. You know, it's monopoly money in a way. It's just we've all agreed that it's worth something and that we're going to exchange it. For goods, which is what money always was, you know, right. <laughs> I mean, well, which is what money. Well, even like when money was gold and silver and, you know, precious metals, it was still or buttons. <laughs> right. This gold yeah. is worth this much, you know, and, and that's and we, we all agree that it's worth a thing. It's not just a, a hunk of metal. You know, it, it's it's worth a thing. It's not just a rock, but it's it's rare enough that it it has value. And so. Yeah, I really like this idea that they're. They're helping these places. You know, the problem with being pegged to like with, with them using the U.S. currency was as the American economy speeds up there, they can buy less and less with the, the, the U.S. dollars that they have. And it, it hurts them. So by having their own digital currency, they don't need to have they don't need to have a bank local to them. They, they have they can have their money in an app and it's 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 fascinating to me because when you think about it a lot of like you think well, how could all these poor people have smartphones in fact in a lot of countries developing countries the smartphone is was was a uh, smartphone penetration was much earlier than it was in the US and other uh, you know first world nations uh, because that's what they had for internet access we didn't ha- feel the need to have smartphones as early because we could get access to the internet on our at work and at home and all this stuff. Whereas people in these uh, developing nations, they didn't have that. And this was the only way to have that. And so they got these things for early. So they have uh, phones, they have apps, you know, and they're more, they were more used to it earlier. And so that's one of the reasons why people tend to be more comfortable with these things. So I find it interesting that they're doing it. It's still up in the air, whether it'll work. I'm, this article is from a, a little ways back, uh, from June. I'm curious how the recent volatility in Bitcoin has yeah, affected that's what I was their, worried the about. experiment. Yeah, because it's gone like down and up, back up again a little bit, but you know it's all over the place. And so yeah, they, I, they talk about riding waves in here, and but it's like from twenty two to thirty dollars, and Bitcoin's yeah. been way more volatile than that lately <laughs> yes yeah up and down it's like riding it's like surfing in this el salvadoran surf town you're surfing your crypto too so uh yeah it it's um it'll be interesting to see whether because volatility in in, an, in a currency is in general a currency that you spend every day is a bad thing you want it to generally be worth about the same a week from now as it is today and that's i think where the problem might be with trying to go full crypto with something like Bitcoin at this point. Well, at least with with a crypto as widely distributed over the world as, as mm-hmm. Bitcoin is, if it was something that was restricted to a geographical area where it was pretty stable, that might be something different. That's true. That's mm-hmm. true. Some countries are are developing their own cryptos. Venezuela right. has a new digital. China has a new digital crypto. The U.S. has actually started talking about having an American digital dollar which would be very interesting um and, and some of the benefits of that is that it you know it, it takes a certain amount of time to for a check to clear like you deposit a check in the bank it'll clear in three days or four days with a with a crypto it you know in blockchain and all that it would be instant yeah yeah no need it's immediately verifiable yeah no float <laughs> exactly no float so the the uh you know, our system is kind of antiquated and, we, and maybe we should be looking at this. Well, I mean, there are a lot of people that are using electronic fund transfers and things like PayPal and things like that, which are mu- much more uh, uh, versatile, not versatile, agile. Right. Mm-hmm. But it would be nice if the do- dollar, I mean, especially not so much for the consumer, but on a business level, at a corporate level, if it if it were a little more less built on a creaky foundation, yeah. a little more modern, uh, shall we say. 
Um, I mean, I tell you, I don't, I don't remember the last time I went to an ATM and took actual cash out of the machine. Right. <laughs> I, I, I almost never take you, you, you. Nowadays, everybody takes Apple Pay or, you know, digital wallet, and or and if they don't, I use a card. Like it's just right. never cash anymore. I'm not sure I, what my pin number is off the top of my head. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, I have it in one password. Here, dear Dom. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> you've got it stored somewhere, don't you? Yeah, yeah I have it in one, one password. I, I, I'm smart enough to do that. Uh, so uh, a final headline for tonight is uh, an interesting one. Uh, this kind of trend, I don't know, it, 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 we, we often call things trends, but this this thing that people have been doing of finding deceased relatives in Google Street View. And now not everybody's going to be able to do this, but you know the Google cars are driving everywhere all the time and they they will pick up images of people on the street, you know, in, in their yards or whatever. And they blur out the faces. But people have been finding their deceased relatives, their grandparents, their parents who've passed, you know, touring through the towns that the that they lived in and going down their street and seeing, oh my gosh, that's that's my dad or that's my mom. And, you know, and it's like traveling to, they'd say this, like traveling through time to see them again, you know, on the street in their, you know, living their lives. And I, I thought that was an interesting idea. Um, have you ever, guys ever seen a, a, like a Google Street View image of someone that you recognize? Uh, no, not, not a person's face per se. I mean, I've seen their car, I've seen their boat, I've seen, you know, things <laughs> that I can say, yeah, that's, that's your car, Dom, I saw on that street, you know, three years ago. And, you know, with Street View, you can go back and look at earlier times in if they happen to have that data. But uh, no, I, I haven't actually recognized a person. Yeah, I'm in, I'm in the same boat. Uh, I've seen, I've seen places. And it's funny, it, like, you know, I think, I think our house still has like two cars ago in our driveway. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, <laughs> well, I could tell, you know, what year it was by when my brother bought the boat and then when it was sold the boat and it cause, right. because it came and it went. <laughs> I actually I looked at uh, Google Maps of our house, the satellite image of our house, and I'm looking at it and I'm zooming in as far as I can go. And I'm saying, who left the van door open? <laughs> That's right. Preserve for all time. The van door. Someone left it open in the driveway. <laughs> I, I, I found found the picture of your house with a for sale sign on it. Did you really? Uh, on on Wander in on my quest the other night, and oh, so wow. I could go. There was about four views I could see of the house with the sale for sale sign, and then a couple of iterations of since then. <laughs> you can see the the bushes grow out of control in my front yard over right, time. Right, and the tree <laughs> and, the, and the tree that died. You know? <laughs> yes, the tree that died. Yes. So yeah, it is fun to kind of, like my kids love Google Earth. They love to tour around in it, and it is interesting to to look at places you know, over time. And that's actually one thing I should point out is, is in a lot of times you'll see, I think it's a clock image in the top corner of the window of a Google street view. If they're, if they have um, old uh, images from the same place, old views of the same place. Um, there's a, there's a, um, I'm trying to think of in this article, we'll have a link to the article from the BBC uh, about this. There's a, there's a clock icon that will appear in the top left-hand side of Google maps if there's uh, a older image of the same view, uh, Google Maps, but not Google Earth, that doesn't have the feature Google Maps. So I thought that was a, a fun thing. And and who knows, maybe you'll find somebody that uh, you never thought you'd see again. Well, and as time goes on, we'll see more of those. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we will. Yes, we will. We'll be immortalized. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. This is this is a, it's a really interesting virtual cemetery kind of uh, a, a memorial to and and as as uh, our capacity for storage gets larger um the, the ability to store this kind of information is is really interesting and i don't know it, this is so like ghost in the machine uh mm -hmm. kind of stuff that uh you know i mean we're going to we're we're going to move to a place where uh there is a digital record of us that exists long after who we are and uh you know, because because right now what we're catching is people who haven't grown up in uh, most of the time. I mean, I, I, I'm I'm not going to say that that's not possible, but most of the time you're catching someone who hasn't grown up in the digital age and doesn't have that footprint all built into everything that they've been going through. And so, you know, I was reading through this and I was like, it was it was it was fun and, and, and neat and I took it for what it was. But then at the same time, it's really kind of an interesting concept of like, you know, who is the person that you're going to leave behind? 
uh, as you pass and all of these things that you've uh, created of yourself and about yourself online. All your, all your tweets and social media posts and all your, everything that you are. Who are you? Who is, what's your legacy that you've created? Right. You're creating a digital image of yourself. And it's something to keep in mind, a little, a little memento mori there uh, as, as, uh, to, to think about. Yeah, it's also interesting that we're kind of creating a digital image archive of the entire planet, at least the planet accessible from the road, but even from satellite images. Like we have a, an ongoing digital archive of our entire planet that we're creating. And we see disasters in there as they start coming up, fires and, you know, you know the wildfires and all that type of thing are you see evidence on these these time lapse maps, and so and it's, it's fascinating. Time passes, yeah, and in in a hundred years, two hundred years, three hundred years, you know, historians will be able to go back and turn back the clock and look at what Earth looked like in twenty twenty one. Well, there is a there is a website out there that will that has taken like the rainforests and and different things and uh, the. Uh, icebergs and uh, glaciers and done this type of satellite imagery to show you what the difference is between 10 years ago or 20 years ago, I think is when they started. And it's, 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 it's kind of a awesome in a good way and dire <laughs> in a bad way, way too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> but you could, you'll be able to do this with the entire planet. I mean, that's kind of interesting. It's almost like a time machine, which is kind of fascinating, especially as the resolution and storage capacity grow. Mm-hmm that it'll only get more granular, which is kind of something to think about next time you're yeah. sitting in your backyard. Right. <laughs> we're living in a simulation. That's all we're just seeing is the, 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 the backups. Yeah, that's right. That's right. All right. Uh, let's move on to our picks of the week. Uh, those were some great headlines this week. But uh, Thomas, I'm going to give you the first pick of this week. What's your pick? Alrighty, so mine has a little bit of backstory and then uh, a cool find on it. Um, when we uh, go to... Uh, places where we can buy family passes so we went to this um, botanical garden near us and we bought a family pass and for us that means kind of like stealing <laughs> we just feel like you know because <laughs> they're thinking family pass like mom dad two kids we're good now we come in with the whole troop of you know eight kids following along with us so uh, we, we feel like it's theft so we always go to the gift shop to try and buy something uh and i found this great teacup and it's a, it's a tea mug that has a picture of ben franklin on it and he's flying a kite but the kite flies off the top of the mug and there's a notch cut where the, the kite string goes. And so when you put your tea in, it looks like he's flown his kite oh. into your tea. And, um, <laughs> so I thought it was the most creative thing I've ever seen. And fortunately, there on the bottom, the, the company that made it uh, was advertising their website, which is called uh, it's called the Unemployed Philosophers Guild. So it's philosophersguild.com. And um, so we went to check it out just to see, you know, offhand, maybe they have some other cool stuff. This is a treasure trove of absolutely nerdy, amazing, wonderful things. <laughs> um, so I, I highly recommend that you go check it out. I, I will give the caveat that they have a political section, which uh, tends a little bit on the liberal side. A but little. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of it. A lot of it. A lot, yeah. but that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> but but the, but the, the whole site is fantastic. It is uh, just they have retirements that you can give to someone. So it's a mint 10 that's oh. for a person who's retired. Um, my favorite we got for our anniversary, my wife and I, we just had our anniversary recently. Uh, we got a couple's mug that is uh, a picture of a black box and it says Schrodinger's cat on it. And as you pour the coffee in, it is revealed if you got the mug that has the living cat or the dead cat. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a set of mugs, two mugs. It's a set of mugs, yes. And it's one two of mugs. them has the hidden image of the dead cat and one of the years of the living cat. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and if you drink them at the same time, what happens to the cat? Yeah. <laughs> it is he both disappears. Alive and dead. I mean, it's both alive and dead. <laughs> and a tasty cup of brew. Uh, yes. Exactly. And so so every morning when I go to pour my coffee now, I'm, I say, perform the experiment. And the kids have, uh, the kids have now learned what Schrodinger's cat is. awesome great lesson uh, yeah yeah, it's so i definitely recommend go check it out um it's got lots of just fun gag gifts and just nerdy really ridiculous uh exciting things it kind of reminds me of think geek a little bit but Mm -hmm. but, yeah yeah a little more toward the literary liberal arts sort of philosophers unemployed (laughs) philosophers which i think is fun um and they have like uh like geeky topics like sherlock holmes and star trek and other stuff like that too so that's kind of kind of fun awesome i i like the the ben franklin tea mug i I found it on their site yes yeah it's it's fun (laughs) 
Awesome. Uh, Pat, what is your pick this week? Oh, I couldn't decide, but uh, <laughs> so I guess I'll go with uh, they're both mundane, but uh, I have a lot of clients for whom they still have desktops that did not come with wireless cards. So uh, in in the past, you know, if they wanted to move their computer across the room, they were kind of stuck. And uh, we'd have to string along Ethernet cable all across the room, or maybe they decided to go upstairs instead of being downstairs. Well, uh, one of the things that uh, I've started getting are there's they, they're about the size of the little thing that you put in when you have a wireless mouse. You know, th- for those of you who are using uh, the RF, not the Bluetooth mice. And so it's just a little thing that you put in the USB port, and then all of a sudden you've got this this really high speed Wi-Fi. Dual, you can either get a single or a dual dual uh, channel, and uh, and it just has made it so easy because it's it's out of the way. It's not you know sticking up and getting knocked over or anything like that, like some of the other devices that I had used in the past. So they're real cheap and they're real good. And this was from TP Link, which I've gotten a lot of network stuff mm. through them. And uh, so I've been real happy. I, I just stick a couple of them in the glove box so that I'll have them when I go to clients' houses. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I mean, they'll work for anything. Uh, Windows, Mac, Linux, you know, they, yeah. they, they're cross-platform. Awesome. That's good. So my pick this week is an app, and it's kind of fun because it's called Bunch, and it's a Mac automation tool that works with, through text files. It's almost like batch files on Windows or Linux, Ooh. you know, that, that sort of thing. Mm. And what is, what is it? You got me interested. <laughs> <laughs> so it's at bunchapp.co, and it is – I've I just started to scratch the surface of what it can do. And so one of the things that I have it do is just as to give you an example of what it can do is when I turn on my mixer to start podcasting, that alerts the my Mac that I'm uh, that it's now attached. And I use keyboard maestro, which is a previous pick that then launches the 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 bunch, the bunch text file. And all it is, is it's a it's a list of um, apps to start and apps to quit. And then it gives commands on where to move windows and re- and set them up in different places, but it can run, uh, Apple scripts, shell scripts. Uh, I think you can run JavaScript, uh, it, but it can do all kinds of scripting. It interfaces with different programs. Uh, it can, um, oh my gosh, it does so many different things. I've like, it can work with home automation, like turn on and off lights. And it's all just simple text files. It's just simple, plain language. So you, when you open a bunch, it it's it runs the 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 commands, and then when you close the bunch, it runs it again, unless you tell it to do something different. And you can tell it when you open, do this; when you close, do that. I mean, it's really a fascinating program. And if you, I mean, it's kind of geeky, but if you if you're at all into automation and scripting. And time saving, yeah, time Aww. saving. These are all things that I'm I love to do. I'm, I'm always looking for ways to automate my stuff. Uh, this this is something to check out. It, it's a lot of fun. So it's at bunchapp.co, and uh, and it it is uh, I think it is donationware. So it's uh, just check it in. Th- throw Brett Terpstra, uh, the developer, a few bucks if you if you like it because I think you will. Um, I can even activate it using my Stream Deck, which is a the the uh, a little gadget on my desk, which is a push button and it's got the uh, oled screens behind every button and so it can change with the context of what i'm doing on my computer and so i can activate a bunch with a push button oh it's so cool <laughs> so 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 much fun so anyway check that out uh bunchco.app that was a bunch of fun that was a bunch of fun <laughs> I've, had, I've had several uh, different picks that i had to choose from this week which was a a plethora of picks um, and I will share my other ones with you over time, including what I got today in the mail. It's a little preview of my new Siri remote for Apple TV. Ooh. Um, so I'm, I'm looking Not forward all to... glass? No, I'm looking forward to finally <laughs> being able to, like, scroll through a show without it jumping all the way to the end and ruining yes. the spoiler uh, for me. That sort of thing. Uh, anyway. Or having to have a, 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 a cushion around my like my brother has because he drops his all the time. So, <laughs> you know, with that glass, he's he now has a little bumper around it like you would a phone. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. My old app, uh, uh, Apple remote, Apple TV remote, the buttons were starting to break. Like They were starting to depress oh. into it. They weren't mm. get they didn't have the give like this. I said, 
It's time. Thank, thank the Lord that they, Apple has given us a new Siri remote. So Yay. <laughs> happy with that. But I will give you a full review. Uh, I just got it today, so I haven't been able to play with it. But I'll give a full pick review uh, in the future. But uh, let's finish things up by taking a moment to, uh, I'm sorry, I already did that, by uh, letting you know uh, to, that you should tell us what you think of our discussion. Or if you have any questions or any feedback at all for us, by going to the show at sqpn.com slash technology or the SQPN Facebook page at facebook.com slash Media, or send an email to technology at sqpn.com. And you can find links from our discussion and our picks of the week on our show notes at sqpn.com. Uh, join the StarQuest fan club by texting StarQuest to 66866. That's StarQuest, one word, to 66866, and that'll get you on our newsletter. And you'll be getting a couple emails a month from us with the proper DMARC policy applied. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. So until next time, Thomas and Herho, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of technology. It's been great. Pat Scott, thank you as well. Always glad to be here. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of technology on StarQuest. <laughs>